Are we ready? All right. Simon says, stand up. Okay, if you did not stand up, you're out. (laughs) Thanks for playing. All right, you guys can have a seat. If you sat down, you're out. Like the 10 of you that are still up, give yourselves a hand for winning, Simon says. Yeah, good job. Uh, Simon says you can sit down. Thanks for playing. I honestly didn't think anybody was going to play that. I'm just, I'm, this is great that, that anybody played at all. I thought I'd be the only one standing, so this is cool. Does anybody ever think about this game, Simon Says, as like the ultimate training tool for children on obedience? Like it turns obedience into like this fun game, right? And listening and obeying the right commands, that kind of stuff. Now, I don't know, did anybody use it? You don't have to admit it, but I'm curious if any parent actually used it. Uh, and when they were raising their kids when they were little, as like a training tool for their kids for obedience. Uh, I got to be honest, I was never good at Simon Says, because <laughs> I have an obedience problem. It's, it's really not a problem, I just don't like it. <laughs> I just don't like obeying. Uh, I, I've shown you this picture before, it'll pop up here. Uh, I, I had this uh, interesting thing happen in my eighth grade year of uh, junior high or middle school. Uh, eighth grade, these cool uh, strapping men from the high school <laughs> came, and to an eighth grader, like high school juniors look like, like hairy beasts, right? And these hairy beast men came and they said, hey, you can be part of something so cool called Air Force Junior ROTC in high school. And they said, you know what? You're going to learn about like military history and the science of flight. And I thought, oh, that sounds cool. Now, if, if you're not into that stuff, that's okay. God loves you still. But I, I like that stuff. That's interesting to me, right? So I thought, this is really cool. And then they said, and... Not only will you learn about that stuff, but you'll get to fly in a plane and do some cool things with guns. Oh, oh I'm in, right? I'm all, I'm all excited. And then, and then they capped it off, these beastly, hairy, high school, awesome men who came to talk to these little tiny eighth graders. Said, and on top of all that, you can get out of P.E., I'm so in, <laughs> right? So my freshman year, I started in this Air Force Junior ROTC. I did it for my freshman and sophomore year. What they did not tell us, two things. One, every Wednesday, you had to wear a uniform to school <laughs> with your friends and stuff. That's not maybe a big deal. A lot of people have done that. They've lived military life, whatever. And that was weird to me. It was just weird to me. But I was thinking, that's okay, I can handle it. Because at the time, I'm thinking, my trajectory in life was Air Force. I was thinking I was going to go to Air Force Academy. That was going to be my thing, and I'll do something great in the Air Force. It'll be awesome. The other thing that I learned in my first month of Air Force Junior ROTC, that the beastly, hairy high school men that came did not say, tell us in any way, was that I was going to have to obey other freshmen and sophomores who were going to tell me what to do. And the problem was that those freshmen and sophomores were not as smart as me or as good as me or as intelligent. They did not know nearly as much as I did. I have an authority problem. And it was revealed really quickly in Air Force Junior ROTC. So that, that changed my trajectory. I did not go into the Air Force Academy. I, did not, I don't know if I could have made it, but I didn't try. I, I did my, my ROTC time, and, and I got out. And, and what's interesting about that is it just revealed that I have an obedience problem. I don't know if anybody else here in this room this morning is with me on that. 
that you have an obedience problem as well. We're not asking. You do not have to confess that this morning. But that's what we want to talk about for the next few minutes together. We're in a series, four weeks into a series called In the Light. We see all the lights that are up here. We're coming from the book of First John. First John is written by a guy named John. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, closest friends he had in life at the time. Hung out with him for three years. That was John. John wrote four different things that got put into our body. Bible. He wrote this, this thing we call the Gospel of John. The Gospel means good news. It's really the stories of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John wrote one of those. John also wrote three letters to the Christian community, the believers at large, of things that he wanted to communicate to them. We call those 1st, 2nd, 3rd uh, John, because, like, I don't know, the church history has been bad at naming stuff or whatever. So 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are letters to try and communicate what this whole uh, being a Christ follower, being a Christian, being a disciple thing looks like. And so John writes to the churches. He uses the phrase, in the light. Because for him, that was the picture of being in this relationship with Jesus. Like, God's in the light, and you're in the light if you have this intimate relationship with Jesus. And so that's what John is writing about, and that's what he's writing to the churches. And that's what 1 John is all about. And it's interesting because this week and next week, we're going to talk about two issues that are really hard to separate because they're so linked together, but we're going to try and separate them. So I just say that because this week we're going to talk about the O word, (laughs) obedience. And then next week, Buzz Barr is going to come, and he's going to talk about the other half of it. So as we talk this morning, we're going to talk about half. Just keep that in your head, because maybe when you leave here, you're like, well, that doesn't sound nice, or that's frustrating, or I don't, I don't really like that, or that doesn't seem to make sense. So that's okay, because we're talking about half of a picture. Does this make sense? Are we okay with that? Okay, so that's what we're talking about today, this whole concept of obedience. Because for, for John, he says there are things that mark the Christ follower. Mark a disciple of Jesus, that mark a Christian. And he says one of those things is obedience. First John chapter 2, we'll just jump right into it. We'll have some fun, hopefully, uh, this morning. If you have a Bible, it'd be great if you turn there. If you're using the app, the North Point app, that's great. There's going to be an opportunity for you to do actually a little interacting with that a little later. If you've never downloaded the app and you have a smartphone, now's a great time to do that. So pull out the app or pull out a Bible. We're in First John chapter 2, verse 3. Are we ready? This is what it says. It says, we know that we've come to know him, Jesus, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoa. Right? Okay. (laughs) Oh, boy. Like, John just gets right to the point. He jumps right at it. And what all I want to do is unpack each of those sentences. Just, it's simple. It makes sense. It's obvious. We could probably pray and be done right now. But I just want to unpack those sentences for a few minutes to try and drive this home. Verse 3, John says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Have you, you ever wondered... Maybe you've crawled in bed, maybe it's been late at night, you can't fall asleep, it's like one in the morning and this thought comes to you like, am I really saved? You ever ever wondered that? If you've ever been a teenager in church, you've probably wondered that because honestly as a youth pastor, it's the question, one of the top two questions I dealt with all the time was, how do I know I'm saved? Like, am I really saved? Like, Like some of our 
problem slash blessing is that maybe we were raised in a Christian home. Maybe we went to church as a kid. Maybe you came to a relationship with Jesus when you were like four, five, eight, and, and you don't really remember it, and, and you weren't really any different from when you didn't know Jesus to when you did know Jesus because when you were like five, you weren't like killing people and selling crack or whatever. And so, so all of a sudden, like you came to this relationship with Jesus and you're not different because you're just a normal kid. So you're like, how do I know if I'm really saved? You hit age 13, and you're being 13, and you're like, I don't know. Or maybe you came to a relationship with Jesus later in life, and, 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 and some things changed, and some things didn't, and you're just kind of in this, this journey of going, how do, I, how do I know it's real? Have you ever asked that question? How do I know that I'm really in a relationship with Jesus? Well, well John is so clear about it. Verse 3 says, we, we know, we can know, we can have knowledge, we can be certain, we can be sure that we've come to know him. How? If we, if we keep his commands if we keep his commands. We, we can be sure that we've come to know him. We can be sure that we're a Christ follower. We can be sure that we're in the light uh, if we keep his commands. Now, we're not saying that, 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 that the times that you don't and the times that you blow it and the times that you sin, that somehow that means that you've lost your salvation or I, I don't even believe you can lose it, but it do, it do, we're not saying that that means, oh, you're not a Christian because you screwed up today. That driver cut you off and you gave him the happy sign or something like that. Oh, that must mean you're not. Because last two weeks, Rick has talked about the concepts of sin and, and how God has provided a way for sin to be paid for and this great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So we get it. We get that sin is part of our reality as people. Like we get that that's going to happen. We get that we're going to blow it. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to make dumb choices. We get that. God gets that. He's given us this, this ability to confess and be forgiven. It's very cool. But we're talking about overall, generally, how is your obedience going? Chris, how is your obedience going? We can be sure that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. There's two words that are really key in there. One is the word know and one is the word keep. We can be sure that we've come to know him. For John, knowing something was not rooted up here. It wasn't like an intellectual knowing or a mental knowing or a knowledge-based knowing or I read about Jesus in a book kind of knowing. For John, knowing was rooted like here, <laughs> all in here. It's rooted here and it's rooted here and it's rooted here. It's, it was based in experience and action and living and those kinds of things. To know something was like to, to be all engaged in that something. We all know people who say that they know something. But then when you really quiz them or ask questions or whatever, you realize eh, they knew about that thing, right? Are we together on this? I, I know Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens. Does anybody even know who those? It's like, it's all, it's all my age people chuckling. That's great. Uh, uh, because in California, we were out at the beach one time, my kids and I, and, and, and we were there, and uh, we saw, no, no lie, I'm not making this up, uh, Zach Efron and Vanessa Hudgens were actually running down the pier. It was really weird because 12-year-old girls were chasing them. But they, they went that way, and they get in their car, and I jumped in my car, and I, I chased them down. I'm not proud of it. And I... I Blocked him in a corner, also not, well, I'm a little proud of that. And, um, and I said, hey, can you give us an autograph for my kids? And uh, that was great, I'll tell you more about it. And that was it, that was the whole exchange. So I know Zac Efron. <laughs> you see, like, we, that's funny, right? Because you're like, no, you don't. You don't, you, you know who he is, and I, and I, and I got a, a name on a piece of paper. That's it. I don't know him. See, knowing isn't here, right? We get this. Knowing is this, for John especially, it's this experiential, involved in living it out, action-oriented knowing. The word keep 
It, it says we can, we can know that we know him if we keep his commands. For John, keep and do are little different words. Because we could have said, like, just do, do Jesus' commands. Like, do what he commands. You just go and you do it, and you're like, oh, I'm doing it fine. Right? But, but for, for John, this word, he uses the word keep. And the word keep is vital. It's this really interesting word that means not, uh, not just the doing, but it implies duration and perseverance. It could be defined as observe diligently, guard carefully. The idea of constant and dedicated push to do something. Or, or it could be said to suddenly realize a truth and protect it. Keeping God's commands could be stated like this, a zealous desire to adhere to God's word. So when John talks about knowing and keeping, it is this deeper, rich, fuller body picture that's not just head knowledge or fine, I'll do it, but this whole built-in reality concept of, of, of the whole person that I am, like, engaged in this thing. And then he expands that in, in verse 4. In verse 4, he goes on to kind of open that idea of knowing and keeping a little more. He says this. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. That's a dangerous word, isn't it? That's a dangerous word. I mean, could you imagine, uh, parents, like, if your kid came home, and they walked up to you and they said, you're a liar! <laughs> I don't know what would happen, but it wouldn't be pleasant. Right? That's a dangerous, power-packed word. Could you imagine if you're a, if you're a kid or when you were in the home, like if, if you got home from school and your mom came into your room and she was like, what'd you do today? And you're like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes, you're a liar. <sighs> what did she find out? Right? What does she know? Like that word is dangerous we don't just throw that word around i hope like we just don't call people liars that's a huge word and so especially when when god allows john to use that word like we want to pause and go okay what's going on because john says whoever says i know him i know jesus but doesn't do what he commands that guy's a liar and the truth is not in that person that seems harsh but but it kind of makes sense to us too Right, if knowing is this concept that's much more than just like a mental thing, but a full physical knowing, then, then, then if we think about just our human relationships, it makes some sense. Right, like, like your spouse. You probably say that you know your spouse. Right, let's just use this, the stereotypical husband to wife. Right, husbands, you probably say, I know my wife. Or boyfriend to girlfriend, you know, a, a boyfriend says, I know my girlfriend. Right, like I know them. Which is why it's so confusing then. Why, like, you just keep leaving your clothes laying on the floor. Because <laughs> you know that it bugs her. And she's, she said, honey, please help me out. And you're like, I hear you, sweetheart. And then you don't. So it's almost like, well, maybe you don't know them. Because if we know someone, don't we, like, care about what they think and want to behave in ways that sort of match what they think? Or what about your boss? You have a boss, and you know your boss. And you know that your boss is serious. When the boss says, he or she says, hey, do this, that you, you best ought to do that, right? And so your boss says, hey, do this. And you go, mm, no. Do you really know your boss? Either you don't know your boss like you think you know your boss, and the pink slip that comes on Friday is a surprise. Or... I don't know, something else horrible is going on inside. You're like, you don't care, it doesn't matter. So, so when John says to know him is to obey him, and if you don't obey him, you're a liar. Like, that makes some sense to us. If we say we know Jesus, like there's going to be this reality of obeying 
him. Okay, verse 5, John kind of finishes his thought with this. He says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so he finishes this idea with this concept that if anyone claims to know him, they're going to they're gonna obey him, and, and they're going to live as Jesus did. It's interesting because when I was in school, when I was in college, there was this big debate that was kind of raging that, that, that one camp said, um, you know, you could be saved by Jesus, but he didn't have to be Lord of your life. Like, he could be your Savior, but not your Lord. The debate, whatever, but the point is that that group um, was, 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 was interesting, and it was debated by another group that said, no, no, no. You, you have to obey him. If he's going to be your savior, he has to be your Lord too. And the group that said, oh, he can be your savior, not your Lord, they were afraid that it was going to turn into some kind of doing. Like, like you're just going to do stuff to earn your salvation. And so we don't want that. And so we're going to say you can be saved, but you don't have to sweat like how you act. And so they use phrases like, just, just rest in Jesus, or just trust Jesus, or I'm just in Jesus, and it's okay. I'm just, I'm just around Jesus. Jesus is in me. And John seems to be fighting the same debate back in his day. Maybe a group that said, well, I, I have Jesus. I'm good. I don't have to do all that stuff. And, and I want to be really clear this morning. We don't have to do stuff to earn our way into heaven. We don't do anything to earn Jesus' uh, love or Jesus' uh, death on the cross that pays for my sin. We don't do anything to earn that. But when we're in that relationship with Jesus, after we've come into a knowledge, saving faith of him, there is a doing that happens. There is an obeying that sort of is just part and parcel of loving Jesus. Uh, this is, uh, sometimes, sometimes we turn this, this relationship with Jesus into like bumper sticker theology. We say stuff like this. We say, um, I know him, or I'm in him, or I'm in the light, or God is my co-pilot, or I'm spiritual, or God and I are good, or I'm a Christian, and that's the extent of it. And all of those statements, well, maybe that they're, they're true, but they're just sentiment. And, and the reality is that this relationship with Jesus, this Christ follower, this being a disciple and disciple maker, is rooted in something much more practical. Being a disciple maker, a Christ follower, is not some mere sentiment or mystical thing. It's boots on the ground, blood in the mud, practical acts of life. Jesus wasn't some mystical character. He was flesh and blood, illness, injury, sweat, stink, mass, and muscle. Being his disciple is no less real and practical. Being a disciple of Jesus is all about the down and dirty details of real life and how you obey Jesus in the midst of it. And so in 1 John, John goes on for a few paragraphs. He gets himself kind of distracted. We get to chapter 3, verse 10. He says it like this. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love his brother or sister. We'll leave that. That's what we get to kind of look at next week. But, but John caps back on this idea. And then he gets distracted for a few paragraphs, talks about some other things, and then comes back to it in chapter 5. He says it like this in chapter 5, verse 3. In fact, this is love for God. You want to know what love for God looks like? This is love for God to keep his commands. His commands are not burdensome. This is love for God to keep his commands. Like, you want to know if you love God? Laying in bed late at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, can't sleep, rolling through your head, am I really saved? Do I really love God? How do I know if I love God? How's your obedience? How's that going? It's interesting because John didn't make this up. It wasn't like he was like, ah, oh, I think I'm going to write some good stuff today. I mean, he got this right from Jesus' mouth in his 
gospel, in his story about Jesus' life, in the book of John, chapter uh, 15, Chapter 14 and verse 15, this is what Jesus says. If you have a Bible like mine, it's got these cool red words in it. That reminds me, oh, that's, that's Jesus talking. That's a big deal. And this is what Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I don't, I don't know how you misunderstand that. And then he goes on in verse 23, and Jesus says this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come, together, uh, come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear from me are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And Jesus talks for a while. We get into chapter 15 and verse 10. He says this, if you, keep me, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. So, it's not rocket science, Right? You're like, Chris, why are you still talking? <laughs> like, you could have just read the first verse. Like, if you love me, keep my commands. Those who love God keep their commands. And we could have been done, prayed and gotten out. And I just want to pound this into us because I, I think we know this. Like, I don't think anything I've said so far is interesting or like revelation or you're like, I don't know, we're supposed to obey Jesus. But here's where I want to go because I think at this point, there are at least three obvious questions that should be popping up in your head. Three questions that you're going, oh, wait a minute. What about, and if you have questions uh, four, five, six, seven, eight that are also pop up in your head, this is a great time to take out that North Point app. There's right on the front page, there's this uh, section that says response form. And I'd love it if you would stick those four, five, six, seven, eighth question in that response form. That'll come to me this week, and I would love to engage that question and figure that out. But I'm thinking there are at least three really obvious questions when we talk about this issue of obedience to Jesus. This is the first one. Uh, what if I don't feel like it? <laughs> what if I don't feel like it? If you're using the app, there's some fill-ins here if you want to track with this. What if I don't feel like it? What if I don't feel like obeying? Because isn't that true? Sometimes do we just not feel like obeying? This is funny because um, at, at, at my house, my, my kids have to take out the garbage, and I can't remember one time they felt like taking out the garbage. And to be honest, I never feel like taking out the garbage. But us, garbage has got to get out, Right? Sometimes, and I, I want to make this sound as, as nice and kind and loving as possible as I talk to myself right now, sometimes the answer to the question, what if I don't feel like it, is simply, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> My friend this morning said, well, I don't know where you're going to get a straw, but you've got to suck it up. <laughs> it was cracking me up. This idea of some, sometimes you just have to do it. Because feelings are so deceitful, Right? I don't feel like it. One of the most frustrating phrases I've heard for years as a pastor is when people say the phrase, I'm just not feeling it. How's your devotional time going? I'm just not feeling it. I haven't seen you at church in a number of weeks. Everything okay? I just just haven't been feeling it. (laughs) Okay. How are you doing with being faithful to your husband? I'm just not feeling it. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be horrible? And yet, I man, that phrase, you hear me, that phrase is so frustrating to me because feelings are so deceitful. Like half the time, I mean, can we just be, I don't even know why I'm feeling what I'm feeling, right? Like it could be bad tacos and I'm feeling something and then, and then I'm just frustrated. I'm fe- so feelings are so elusive and so deceitful. And so to link obedience to feeling like doing it is a really dangerous losing battle. The other thing that's true is that sometimes feelings come after obedience, Right? I was talking to my youngest daughter, Danielle, just yesterday. We were talking about running because she started running. And it's kind of cool. And I, I was telling her, I said, you know what? I never feel like running. I never feel like running. 
I'm putting my shoes on. I'm stretching out my old man muscles on my foam roller. And I'm like, this is stupid. What am I doing? I don't want to do this. I don't want to. I, I never feel like running. But I really like the after effects of running. You know? So there's lots of things that we do that we just don't feel like doing. But we do them because we know that they're good and right and beneficial for us. Yeah? And so feelings, linking feelings with obedience is a dangerous thing. So one of the first questions on my head was, what if I don't feel like it? And I think the obvious answer is, well, sometimes you just suck it up. And sometimes the feelings come later. Sometimes we just choose to obey. Here's the second, what I think is the second obvious question at this point. (laughs) What if I don't? What if I don't obey? What if I just choose not to? And I'm not talking about like, like when we blow it and we choose poorly and we, and we sin like, and we kind of know it, we're like, ah, Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness on the cross. I'm an idiot. I sin. I choose it. Ah, what's wrong with me? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like this sense of I, I know what Jesus has told me to do and I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that. What happens? What if I don't obey? And, and I think there's probably at least two, two options here. One is that Jesus makes me. <laughs> that is not a pleasant option. It hurts, it is uncomfortable, it is painful, and I do not like it. Like Jesus says, hey, Chris, you're going to do this. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And he's like, I, you didn't, you're not hearing me. You are doing that. And he, he, he orchestrates life to move in such a way that I am now doing that, and it is uncomfortable, and I do not like it. And at the same time, though, I really need to be thankful for that because it means that Jesus loves me so much and is paying so much attention to me that he will not let me be stupid and foolish in that moment. He's going to push me to do the thing that's going to be best for me and the plan that he has. That's kind of cool and it's incredibly painful because I could have just obeyed and it would have been a different feel. Are, are we together? Sometimes I think Jesus makes me. The other thing that I think happens when we say, well, what if I just choose not to? What if I say I'm not going to obey? I think sometimes Jesus lets you. He says, okay. All right, then don't. And those are the times that are so sad because not only is it painful and unpleasant and and, and awkward and uncomfortable, but that we totally miss the blessing that God had planned for me because I was supposed to obey. I totally miss that. And there's something so sad uh, about Jesus saying, okay, you're going to say no? Okay, okay. Uh, I'll let you do that. It like breaks my heart. It's like, Jesus, don't, don't, do, don't let me do that, <laughs> right? Make me, it's uncomfortable, but I want to be in your will. Man, don't just let me run my own path. It's so scary. And we've got pictures in the Bible, characters and stories written about these folks in the Bible that show both sides of it, right? I mean, we, we, if about a month or so ago, we were in a series called My Story. We looked at King Saul. King Saul was a guy who said, I'm not going to obey God. And God said, okay, I'll let you. And Saul lost everything everything, simply choosing to not obey the things that God told him to do. And then we've got stories in the Bible like Jonah. We're going to actually do a series in a couple months here on on the book of uh, Jonah. It's going to be a blast. Jonah, if you've never read this story, it's a great story. The book is called Jonah. He's my favorite missionary because he don't want to do anything, and God makes him, right? He says, Jonah, go do this. Jonah says, "Mm -mm." God says, cool, I'll build a fish. You know, no big deal. It's like this crazy story. So we see pictures all throughout the scriptures of people who said, I'm not going to obey, and God makes them, and pictures of people who say, I'm not going to obey, and God lets them. What happens, second most obvious question, what if I don't obey? There's a few things. Here's the third, what I think, third most obvious question, and maybe the most important one out of all the questions is this right here. What exactly am I supposed to obey? Not a good question. Like, what exact, 
What exactly am I supposed to obey? Am I supposed to obey everything everybody says I'm supposed to do? No, not, not even close probably. Right? Am I supposed to obey everything the pastor or life group leader or internet personality or author says that I'm supposed to do? No. Absolutely not. Probably not. So then what about like, all that stuff in the Old Testament? There's like 600 laws plus am I supposed to do all that stuff too? Like something about tassels on my garment and not eating pork or some craziness? Let's just start with two things. Two simple things that I think when we ask the question, what exactly am I supposed to obey? Two simple things to start with. Number one, this sounds so spiritual. Go to Google and Google the phrase God's will. Bible verse. Throw in Bible verse. Because if you just Google God's will, you're going to get all kind of crazy, wacky stuff. It's the internet, right? It's all true. But, but if, you, if you Google uh, or Bible gateway or use your concordance or whatever and look for the phrase God's will, because there's lots of places, oh, but, but not tons of places, probably a handful of places, that where God specifically says, hey, it's my will that you do this. Like, that's a, what an easy place to start, right? I mean, if God has been clear about the things that he wants, like, hey, I want you to do like, that would be an easy place to start. Let's, let's I'm work on those things. Google that phrase. God says things like, it's my will that you be sanctified, different, holy, set apart. Like, oh, okay. Now, I may have a hard time figuring out what that looks like, and then I screw it up regularly, but at least I can put it on a mirror and go, oh, okay, that's what God wants. That's what I'm going to start, right? Or, or, if, or if God says, uh, 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 it's my will that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, oh, Oh, what is, how do I do that? How do I get there? What do I need to... So that might be difficult to figure out all, but the, 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 the knowing it, like saying, okay, that's what he wants. I can do that. That's a great place to start. Just Google the phrase, God's will Bible verse, and just start with those. Here's another great place to start. Like, hey, what exactly am I supposed to obey? If you have a Bible with these red words in it, start with those. Start with the red words. See, because Western culture loves... Uh, uh, the second half of the New Testament, like from the book of Acts all the way to the book of Revelation, we love that stuff because that style of speaking and teaching communicates to our style of learning. We call it didactic. It's like, it's like points or whatever. And so like we love that and that preaches so well and we're kind of, I think as a culture, a little hesitant to get in those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We call them the Gospels, the stories of Jesus. And we're a little afraid of them because, like, they're stories and they paint these pictures and it's not as clear sometimes. We're like, what? Right? And so we read it. We're like, that's weird. Okay, I'm going to figure this out. See, we're a little hesitant on that. But in those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you could pick just one of them because they're like repeats of each other from different perspectives. Like, like check the words that Jesus says. See, in some of these older Bibles, they put Jesus' words in red. So people like me would go, oh, that's Jesus. <laughs> it's great. Like, check the red words. Matter of fact, we're, we're um, looking at, at 15, at John 15. Where did we hide this at? Uh, just a few minutes ago. And, and it says uh, that if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But Jesus goes on in verse 11 of chapter 15. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this. Like, that's a great, oh, oh. Oh, Jesus just said, I want you to do this thing. My command is this. Oh, okay, I'm obey. Just uh, love each other as I have loved you. Oh, snap, <laughs> right? Like, oh, that's it's not easy. It's not easy, but the command is clear, right? So where do I start with this whole obeying Jesus thing? Like, you could Google the phrase God's will, or you could just go to the red words and go, okay, that's where, that's where I'm going to plug in. Everything that Jesus says to do, like when he says in the end of Matthew, he says, go. Oh, okay, I could... I could go, where do, where, where do I go? And you figure that out. You're going to pray that through and talk to wise people, all that stuff. But 
man, you could start with just the things that Jesus says. And you're thinking maybe, oh, Chris, that's not a ton. Like, okay, there's a few God's will things and there's a few Jesus commands and I could figure that out. And I just say, if you get all that dialed in, if you're, just, if you're knocking all that out of the park, uh, two things. One is come and explain to me how you're doing it because I am not doing so well. And secondly, we'll figure out more then. Is this making sense? Like if you got all that dialed in, man, praise God for you. Help me figure that out. Right? What is it that we're supposed to obey exactly? Man, some great places to start. Here's what I'm thinking. We live in a culture and a time where we hate obedience. We hate being told what to do. Police, lawmakers, teachers, parents, bosses, any authority that exists, we bristle against it. As Christians, obedience to God is a mark of discipleship. The terms disciple and Christ follower are even terms of obedience. It means being a follower, a learner, someone who does it the way and the same way as Jesus. You can measure your growth in Christ by your ready obedience to what he says. So uh, I got out of junior ROTC. I avoided military life because I thought that whole obeying military life thing is not going to work well for me. And it's kind of cool because God is so good that he didn't let me get away from places where I have to learn to obey. So he put me in a college early on where there were lots of rules, some really dumb. But it was all pushing me and rubbing off edges to say, what does obedience look like? And, and, and then God in his greatness has always put me in ministry positions where I've always been a number two, three, four, five, six, eighteen, whatever. So I've always had bosses and people that I had to come under their authority and learn to obey. And, and then God puts me in a marriage to a strong, fierce woman who I can't just do whatever I want, whatever I feel like it. It's not obeying, but it's this concept of thinking and going, okay, what does this look like? I can't just, you know, dominate the entire situation here. That's God is so good in that, rubbing off those rough edges of hating obedience. And most of all, God has constantly shown me his goodness and his grace and his love and the fact that when I obey, it's always for my best interest. And he always works those things out. Here's what I want to end with because this could be like this really bummer talk and then we all go out and go, oh, we don't obey, we suck. And, And that's not where I want to end because this is really cool because God... God tells us, if you, if you love me, you'll obey me. But it's a, it's a doable thing. It's doable. And as a Christ follower, you're already doing it. That's a really cool thing. Matter of fact, in, in, we were reading 1 John in chapter 5, verse uh, 3. This is how it ends. John, again, quoting Jesus, says, In fact, unless his love for God, that you keep his commandments. But he ends with this. And his commands are not burdensome. It's not like Jesus lays some heavy trip on us that we just can't, I don't know what to do, and it's so crushing and overwhelming. It's like obeying Jesus is this this thing that's doable. It's not always easy. It's not always simple to figure out. It doesn't always work the way we want it to. All those things are true, and I get it. I'm not a fool, but it's totally doable. And if we were to take five minutes, even today, and just sit back and look at our lives and go, how am I doing with this obedience thing? I bet... Holy Spirit's going to speak to your soul and say, you know what, there's a lot of areas where you're knocking this out of the park. That's cause for celebration. Because it means, man, do I love Jesus? Do I really, am I really in this relationship with Jesus? How are you doing with your obedience? I bet, I bet, I bet we're doing great in some areas. And then I bet there's some areas where we're going, yeah, I need some help there. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish with a, a, a song. And as, as we sing this, you, you do what you want. Stand up, sit down. If you need to come down here, whatever you need to do, just to spend those three minutes as you sing, uh, just answering one question. You and God just having this little dialogue of, how am I doing, Jesus? Where am I at with my obedience? How's that going? 
How are you feeling? <laughs> How am I feeling? And maybe in that time, that's a cause for celebration. Maybe it's a cause for time to come to Jesus moment. And somehow in there, I think God will just speak to us. We'll sing.